Well, it's looking like 2020 has shaped up to be one of the biggest litmus tests of our vitality in our relationship with God. In fact, this year and the circumstances within it, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, seemingly no matter how long you've even walked with Jesus, has either pushed you further away from your relationship with God or further into your relationship with God. You know, in the many years of pastoral ministry that I've been engaged in, I've long seen that the routine of a relationship can often become a mask for the relationship of a relationship. Now, let me say that again. Uh, often the routine of a relationship can become a mask for the relationship of a relationship. Think about it this way. You have many, many, many relationships in your life, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, and often relationships, they take on a routine. And in fact, it's in the strength of that routine that can develop a strength of a relationship. I know some people have been married for like 30 plus years and they've never missed a weekly date night. I know dads who are committed to going on walks with their daughters every weekend. I know some coworkers who always like to start off their workday with a cup of coffee together. There's people who pick up the phone and call one another across the country. And in the strength of those routines, there's a strength in the relationship. However, if in the routine of a relationship, you lose sight of the relationship, if over time the routine turns into a rut and that becomes the strength of the thing that holds up the relationship, the moment those routines are removed, the strength of the relationship is tested. In the same way, think about your relationship with God. In many ways, it is the strength of a routine that makes the relationship stronger. Many of you, you are committed faithfully to reading scripture. You're committed faithfully to praying. You're committed faithfully to attending worship services. And often in the strength of that routine, you can develop a strength of a relationship. However, if in the routine, if it becomes a rut and you lose sight of the relationship, whenever those routines are removed, enter 2020, where so many routines have been removed, not only in our relationships with one another, but also in our relationship with God. The strength of our relationship is tested. And so now we have an opportunity right now to go to God's word. In fact, this is the third week of a sermon series in a very short section of scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, where the apostle Paul, one of the first leaders of the church, writes a letter to the first century church in Thessalonica, and he gives three commands. And these commands uh, can take on a routine, but his hope, his prayer, his desire through the power of the Holy Spirit is that these things, to be joyful always, to pray without ceasing. And today, as we will discover, to give thanks to God in all circumstances would not be a routine that turns into a rut, but rather would be something that holds up and strengthens a relationship that even when the normal routines of our life are moved away, that we will learn how to have the strength in a relationship with God that nothing, no circumstance, no 
calamity outside of us or within us can deter us, dislodge us, remove us from this deep, intimate relationship that God longs for us to have. Now, ruts can be uh, a dangerous thing. I think about when I was younger, uh, I had just started youth ministry and there was a guy in the church who uh, I came to respect in tremendous ways, Dr. Rick Blackman. Phenomenal man who became a mentor to me. His kids had come up to the high school ministry that I was overseeing, his wife, Sherry. Both of them were tremendous uh, people in the community, tremendous leaders in the broader uh, Christian community as psychologists. And both of them had become mentors in many ways. And I found out that Rick, he went mountain biking every day of the week. That's what I heard. I don't know if it was every day, but he had this legend about him, this iron horse. He was 50 years old and he was always out there, not just riding his bike on the streets, but up in the mountains, mountain biking. He invited me one time and I went with him. I'm thinking, okay, I mean, how strong can this guy be? I'm half his age, a little prideful in my youth. And immediately when we started from his house, we set out on the mountain roads, on the fire road. Immediately, I lost him. He took off so quickly, I couldn't keep up. And so I'm trying with all my might, as fast as my young legs could paddle, uh, to keep up with him. And I found myself going a little too fast. And, it, you know, it was, a, it was a fire road. It was, it was a wide road. It wasn't this short, little, narrow, single track. And around this wide road, I, I came around this bend. And as I came around the bend, I saw something in the middle of the fire road. And it was a rut. And it was a rut that had been created from previous rains and runoff. The rains that had come and they had flowed down this the fire road in the same spot. And as it had run down the same spot over and over and over, the volume of water began to cut through the hard compact dirt and it created a rut that was about this deep. And as I'm coming around the corner, I couldn't, with all my strength, with all my might, with all my dexterity, I couldn't stay outside of the rut. And I found myself getting closer and closer and closer into the rut. And as soon as my front tire went into that rut, it stopped. Now, when the front tire of a mountain bike stops and you've been traveling very fast downhill, there's only one thing that happens. You go flying over the handlebars. And in an instant, I am upended. If you could imagine Drew Sam, senior pastor of Bella Church, flying over the handlebars. And for some reason, I held onto the handlebars. I was white knuckled. I, I just, I didn't let go. And because of that, I, I flipped over the bike and the bike flipped up in the air because I was holding it to it. It flipped up in the air and it landed ah, on my shin. So now I have this massive scrape on my back, the shock that moves through my body, blood dripping down my shin. What just happened? The rut had taken me out. In the same ways, we can develop Ruts in our mind. The latest neuroscience tells us that with neuroplasticity, the connections that are made in the neural pathways of our mind and very small, small at the micro level can create almost like ruts in our mind. And we have to be very, very careful of the type of connections that we make in our mind, the type of ruts that form, because like me on the side of the road, covered in blood, 
we can find ourselves developing ruts in our minds that leave us emotionally broken, relationally broken, spiritually broken. Gratitude is the key. In fact, you've heard me say for a very long time that science is beginning to catch up with what is already revealed in Scripture. In a moment, we'll get to Scripture, but let me give you a scientific uh, a statement that was made a number of years ago. Dr. Robert Emmons, he's one of the preeminent researchers on gratitude, has written tremendous, spent many decades researching gratitude and many longitudinal studies. He says this about gratitude. He says, gratitude is fertilizer for the mind, spreading connections and improving function in nearly every realm of experience. And he quotes another neuroscientist, Rick Hansen, who says that the brain takes the shape the mind rests on. If you rest your mind on worry, sadness and annoyance and irritability, and your brain will take on the shape neurally of anxiety and depression and anger. But if you ask your brain to give thanks, and it will get better at finding things to be thankful for and begin to take the shape of gratitude. In other words, what flows through the mind sculpts the brain. Did you catch that? Your brain literally takes the shape of what your mind rests on. You rest your mind on worry, your brain takes the shape of anxiety. You rest your mind on despair, your, your brain takes the shape of depression. You, you rest your mind on atrocities out in the world, your brain takes the shape of anger. Have you found yourself in 2020? Again, I'll ask the question, more anxious, more depressed, more angry? Could it be that literally what your Mind is rested on is shaping your perspective of the world. You know, Paul said in another place in Scripture, in fact, this is in Philippians chapter 4, 8, he says, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Again, as I said a moment ago, science is catching up what is already revealed in Scripture. How could have Paul known that way back then, 2000s of years ago, what neuroplasticity has revealed to us today? He knew that because God revealed that truth of how humans have been created by God. That what we rest our mind on literally shapes at the neurological level. And therefore, how we see the world and therefore the behavior that flows out of our life as a result. And so what we're going to do today, as we go to God's word, we're going to discover the environment of gratitude, the expanse of gratitude and the end of gratitude. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. 
This is the third command that the Apostle Paul gives in this short section of Scripture. If you've missed any of the sermons prior to this, we began this sermon series with a sermon titled The End of Joy. Last week was The End of Prayer, and today, The End of Gratitude. And next week will be the last one in the series, The End of the Will of God. This is verse 18, just the first half, where the Apostle Paul writes, Give thanks in all circumstances. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we say every week, thanks be to God. Now, again, we found ourselves in this sermon series uh, looking at joy and prayer and today gratitude through uh, kind of three lenses. As I already said, the environment, the expanse, and the end. And if you've watched any of these sermons prior to this, if you've joined with us in the weeks prior, you know that the only environment where we can experience true joy and true prayer is also the same environment that we can experience deep, profound gratitude. Remember that quote from Dr. Richard Emmons, if uh, gratitude is a fertilizer that can spread and make connections, that actually changes our life. Some of us, perhaps, we have a, a diluted form of of gratitude. And it hasn't had the strength, it hasn't had the power, it hasn't had the potency to really enable us in this year, in 2020, with all that's going on, to actually experience a deep connection of gratitude. And what we're going to talk about today is so much deeper than just looking on the bright side. What we're going to talk about today is so much deeper deeper than just seeing the silver linings and circumstances. What we're going to talk about today is so much deeper than even just counting your blessings. Because we're going to discover that there is one environment, one environment alone, where there can be a depth, a richness, a power of gratitude that, as the Apostle Paul says, that can exist in all circumstances. And it's in the presence of God. Now, we need this today, especially in our church, because the circumstances of today are very different. I would guess for many of you, different than a year ago. It could be for health reasons. It could be for economic reasons. It could be for relational reasons. It could be uh, because of many things. And my question to you is, are you going into Thanksgiving this week as grateful today? as you were a year ago. We also experienced a national election the last couple of weeks. A question for you. Are you as grateful today as you were back in 2016, the last time we had a national election? I'll ask it another way. Do you find yourselves uh, more thankful today than back in 2016? Do you find yourself, maybe because of the stock market today, doing really well, you find yourself more thankful, more filled with gratitude than you were back in, oh, let's say, May, when things were looking pretty dire in the stock market. You see, Paul is commanding every follower of Jesus to give thanks, not just sometimes, not just in certain circumstances, not just when things work out the way we want or things are avoided that we wish don't happen. He's saying, no, 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 give thanks in all circumstances. And the only way you can ever do that is if you live perpetually in the presence of God. Because when you live your life in the presence of God, you begin to get a perspective that transcends 
all circumstances. It goes beyond that which your eyes in the physical realm can see when you experience life in the presence of God. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about what that could look like as you open up God's words, you spend time in prayers, you spend time in Christ-centered community. As you put into practice the way of Jesus, you begin to live your life more and more in the presence of God. And the amazing thing is, even though the routines of our relationship with God have changed in 2020, God invites you right now, wherever you are, to live in his presence. His presence doesn't just exist in a physical sanctuary. His presence doesn't just exist in your favorite place that you go on a prayer walk. God's presence doesn't just exist when you are with other believers. God's presence is everywhere. And there's this deep, profound invitation that God gives you through Jesus, which we discovered last week. That through Jesus being our great high priest and the ultimate final sacrifice, that through Christ we now have boldness, the writer of Hebrews says, to enter the throne of grace because Christ has gone on our behalf and he has made it possible for us to live fully loved and known and beloved, adopted into God's family, in God's presence. And the more we live our lives in the presence of God. I love the book by Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God. He reminds us in that book that you can actually practice the presence of God while doing dishes, while doing some of the most menial tasks, you can actually find that every moment of every day is an opportunity to practice the presence of God and watch what happens when you do that, the fruit that comes, that is gratitude. And it's gratitude not grounded in circumstances, but it's gratitude grounded in the very character and nature of God. Listen to this verse. In fact, it is in... The Psalm, Psalm 100. Perhaps you want to read the entire thing later today. It's short. It's about five verses. I'll read it for you now. Maybe you want to come back to it before your head hits the pillow at the end of the day. The psalmist writes, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So therefore, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The psalmist knew that when we enter the presence of God, we experience an embrace that is unlike anything we can ever imagine. When we enter the presence of God, there is a, a peace and a joy and a satisfaction and a significance that infinitely eclipses the things that we've run after in our life to accomplish, to experience those same things. In fact, I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher. He says, so long as we are 
receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. The more you find yourself living in the presence of God, the more you realize that it was grace and it was mercy that enables you to be in God's presence. It wasn't your good deeds. It wasn't your acclaim. It wasn't your, your wealth. It wasn't your ability to, to do the right thing in all the circumstances to get in God's presence. No, it was the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that extends you the opportunity to live perpetually in the presence of God, to always be able to commune with God, to grow with God, to have a peace with God. And Charles Spurgeon says that when we are receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. And that reminds me that thanksgiving is always connected to memory. You've heard me say before, perhaps, that the word remember is used so frequently in Scripture. It outnumbers the word believe five times to one. The word remember is so frequently used in Scripture. It outnumbers the word trust two to one. The more that we can remember who God is, who we are, the gifts that he has given us, that God's character is eternally good, that he loves us, that his love endures forever, the more that we have that memory, the more that we remember, we actually have the ability to be filled with tremendous gratitude. Now, the problem is the moment we forget who God is, who God says we are, the moment we forget that God is good, the moment we forget that God's love endures forever, the moment we forget God's promises that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from God's love, the moment we forget those things, it becomes a, a first step, a catalyst for ingratitude. In fact, you can see this all throughout scripture. Remember the Israelites in the desert? They had just been rescued after being enslaved for over 400 years. God rescues them in miraculous ways, feeding them and they find themselves out in the desert and immediately they forget that, that God has done this and they begin to be filled with ingratitude. They begin to complain. They begin to have bitterness and they actually misremember their past and they say, oh, we had it so good when we were back in Egypt. There can be this vicious cycle that comes into play that when you forget who God is, when you forget God's goodness, you are then filled with ingratitude and it further affects your memory. And you begin to distrust God you begin to push God farther and farther away. You begin to focus on all the things around you that are going wrong. You begin to focus on all the worry. You begin to focus on all the despair. You begin to focus on all the atrocities. And all of a sudden, this vicious cycle begins and scientists say, the, the neuroplasticity is making connections that are shaping your brain towards ingratitude. No wonder. Humanity has a propensity to fall back into the rut of anxiety and depression and anger in the same way that I fell into that rut on that day. But we must realize that there are opportunities, even in the crashes, to discover that there is a greater truth, a greater reality behind it. Would you come back with me to that moment on the side of the dirt road, bleeding, hurt, embarrassed? 
I got back up onto the bike and I, 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 I rode down and I caught up with my friend, Dr. Rick Blackman, that mentor. And he said to me something like, I thought, what, what happened? I thought you turned around, oh, what happened? And he sees my shin bleeding down to my ankle at this point. He says, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. It was more my pride that was saying I was okay. I was hurting. And I'll never forget what happened next. He said to me, Drew, you have a choice. We can go back right now or we can keep going. And I was shocked that he gave me that choice. I thought he was going to say, well, let, let, let's go back. I mean, you, you, you're banged up pretty good. I mean, look, I mean, look at you. You're covered in dirt and blood. Let's, let's, let's go back. But he gave me a choice. You can turn around and go back because you fell in that rut and hang it up and never finish what we set out to do. Or we can keep going. We were like seven minutes into a two-hour ride. And there was something about how he asked that question. There was something that I knew about his character. There was something, there was just something that day that caused me to make a decision that I don't think I would have made had he not asked me that question. I said, let's keep going. And he said, good. And I kept going with him. And the trail got harder and harder. And we experienced this crazy climb up this trail called Chesboro and down a single track called, catch this, Dead Cow. I remember this. It's been like 15 years. I remember going down this single track and I found myself with blood down my shin that was now beginning to dry with a banged up shoulder that was kind of doing okay with a humility that was growing at a faster pace than my pride, with a profound respect for this man twice my age who was inviting me into this great adventure, we found ourselves at the end of that ride two hours later and he looks at me and he says, wow, I don't recall anybody who's gone down dead cow, that really difficult part without once stopping and having to get off and navigate those really big rocks. Wow, Drew, good for you. I mean, this, the fall earlier, that was one thing, but wow, you got down dead cow. And something happened in that moment. Something in my perspective changed about that rut that I had fallen into. And that rut, which could have destroyed me emotionally and my pride, it could have caused me to go home, actually now was reframed in a different perspective. And I realized, ah, even though I fall into ruts, they don't have to be the end of me. They don't have to be the end of the journey. They don't have to cause me to give up. But invited to go further, I can get up out of those ruts and I can push forward. And uh, God has used that experience in tremendous ways, not just in physical endeavors, but in emotional, relational, church leadership-wide endeavors, where I fall into ruts. And I hear my former mentor ask me the question, do you want to go back or do you want to push forward? 
and I choose to push forward. Having learned from my mistakes, having realized that those things don't have to define me. And with the great irony of all ironies, I can look back and I can give thanks to God, not necessarily for that circumstance, but I can thank God in that circumstance. And this leads me to the expanse of gratitude. Remembering that experience on the trail, I want you to again hear this. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says that we are to give thanks to God in all circumstances. He doesn't say give thanks to God for all circumstances. Those are two very different things, though only one word separates the two different ideas. It can lead you a million miles apart, though one degree separation. So I've chosen in my life to listen to what Paul says here, and I thank God in all circumstances. I don't thank God for all circumstances. Now, Albert Schweitzer has this phenomenal quote, and I believe that I understand the intent of what he says, but he uses the word for. So I'm going to read the quote as he wrote it, as he intended it, but I want to modify it for us today. Albert Schweitzer wrote this, The greatest thing is to give thanks for everything. Now, I would edit it to say, The greatest thing is to give thanks in everything. But it's his quote. The person who has learned this knows what it means to live. They have penetrated the whole mystery of life. He says, giving thanks for everything. I would say giving thanks in the midst of everything. You see, this is where many Christians can, and I believe that this is what I would refer to as an open hand, item, uh, a, a negotiable, a disputable matter. There are a lot of mature Christians who would say, no, 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 we, we should thank God for all circumstances. Therefore, we should thank God for cancer. We should thank God for disease. We should thank God for every atrocity of the world. I, I hear a lot of very mature Christians who say that, and I understand the intent behind that because they then follow up with that statement and say, because in the midst of those things, we can have a greater reliance upon God. We can grow closer in our relationship with God, that we can experience a depth of a trust that transcends circumstances. And I understand that. However, I've experienced in almost 20 years of pastoral ministry, the, the possible damage that can be done when a person is told that a calamity that befalls them, an atrocity that happens to them, something outside of their control that deeply wounds them, if they're simply told, you know, you're supposed to thank God for that. I've seen how people's faith can crumble. I've seen how people can push God away. And so I found that in practice and in pastoral situations that I found that it is so much more helpful to not say we should give thanks to God for all circumstances, but to take Paul's word and say we're to thank God in all circumstances for one reason, 
And it's this. Psalm 136. Would love for you to read that one too. Psalm 100 now, Psalm 136. Would love for you to read the whole thing. I'll just read the first three verses. Psalm 136, verse one says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For God is good. Why? For God's steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of all gods. Why? For God's steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of all lords. Why? For God's steadfast love endures forever. I'd love for you to write this down. This is one of those uh, magnetic truths that can resonate through your life. If you commit this to memory, if you have this written on your heart, when I combine 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and Psalm 136 together, there's this powerful truth that unlocks gratitude in a deep and profound way, in an expansive way that can apply to all circumstances and every moment of every day, no matter how hard things get, no matter how awful things are that happen outside of you or in you or to you or from you, that it's to give thanks to God in all circumstances for God is good. We're called to give thanks to God in all circumstances for God is good. For God's love endures forever. You see, when we understand that God is good, that God's love does endure forever, that even when circumstances happen to us that I believe break God's heart, we must trust that God is still good in the midst of it, that God's love endures forever in the midst of it. And God's goodness is greater than any circumstance and God's love is greater than any circumstance. And as we will get into next week, I don't want to push into this topic too much, but when we believe that God's will never fails, that when we believe what scripture says about God's will, that everything on earth, that happens is never outside of God's plan and his purpose and his will. We're going to get into that in great detail next week. But when we believe that, when we trust that, we can discover that even some of the darkest and most broken things, that somehow God's goodness and God's love is behind it in such a way that God can transform it for God's glory. And because of that, we have to do it in faith and it doesn't make sense. And it can be the most irrational thing that we can still give thanks to God in each and every circumstance. This requires great faith. This requires great practice. This requires great encouragement from mature brothers and sisters in Christ and the faith who can guide you in this, who can encourage you in this, who can build you up in this. But we will find that there is no, no area of life where we can't find a deep gratitude, not for, but in, because God is good, because God's love endures forever. And we can test this in the world and we can say, well, what was, what was the most horrific thing that has ever happened? I mean, it's kind of a, 
I know, kind of a, a, a morbid thought to even ask the question in the midst of a church service, but I want to push it here. What, what's the most calamitous, the most horrific, the most awful thing that has ever existed? I, I, I believe that if we are intellectually faithful, that all the things that we might think of, the Holocaust, the Armenian genocide, uh, things that have happened that, that people don't even know about, that we can't even wrap our minds around, all these things that can happen. I think that if we were intellectually honest with ourselves, as followers of Christ, we must say that the most horrific thing ever done was that the Son of God was killed. The only one that has ever existed that truly was purely innocent was crucified. After a sham trial, was treated in a way that should never have been treated. No human should ever be treated that way, of course. No person, all people who are made in the image of God uh, never, ever, ever deserve any atrocity. I'm not saying that at all, but if you were to say the worst of all has to be the Son of God being crucified. And how did Jesus see his own death? Well, before he was crucified, before he was beaten, before he was arrested, before he was betrayed, he sat down at a meal, a Passover meal. And scripture records it as saying that he took bread and he broke it and blessed it and he gave thanks. And then he said something that no Jewish man had ever said before. He said about the bread, this is my body given for you. And in that moment, he reframed how he wanted everyone to look at the most horrific act that had ever been done in human history. He reframed that atrocity. And he reframed it in such a way that he said, thank you, God. Did you know the, the Greek word for that is eucharisteo? It's where we get the word eucharist from. Did you know that every time we partake in communion with the bread and the cup, we are doing an act of giving thanks for the fact that Jesus gave his life so that we would be saved, that he died so that we could live eternally, that he was torn apart so that we would be made whole, that he was broken so that we would be put back together. I love how Ann Voskamp unpacks this truth. She wrote some phenomenal books. And actually, this comes from a, an interview that someone took of her. And she says this about that eucharisteo. She says, the root of eucharisteo is charis, meaning grace. Jesus took the bread and saw it was grace and gave thanks. He took the bread and knew it to be a gift and gave thanks. Eucharisteo, thanksgiving, envelops the Greek word grace, charis. But it also holds its derivative, the Greek word chara, meaning joy. 
Charis, grace, eucharisteo, thanksgiving, kara, joy. Deep kara joy is found only at the table of the eucharisteo, the table of thanksgiving. The holy grail of joy, God set it in the very center of Christianity. The Eucharist is the central symbol of Christianity. Doesn't the continual repetition of beginning our week at the table of the Eucharist clearly place the whole of our lives in the context of thanksgiving? One of Christ's last directives he offers to his disciples is to take the bread, the wine, and to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember and give thanks. This is the crux of Christianity, to remember and give thanks. Eucharisteo. Why? Why is remembering and giving thanks the core of the Christ faith? Because remembering with thanks is what causes us to trust, to really believe. Remembering, giving thanks is what makes us a member again of the body of Christ. Remembering, giving thanks is what puts us back together again in this hurried and broken and fragmented world. Now, so often as a church family, we on the first Sunday of the month partake in the Lord's Supper. We partake in the communion. We partake in the Eucharist. But on this day, we're not. And it is a routine that is for a relationship. And I intentionally don't want to have the Eucharist in this service today, which would be outside of our normal rhythm, our normal routine, because I want to impress upon you that you don't have to wait until the first Sunday of the month to partake in the Eucharisteo. You don't have to wait till the first Sunday of the month to partake in communion, the Eucharist, Thanksgiving. You can do that right here and right now. You have access to God through Jesus Christ. If you want, you can go grab a bread and a cup right now. And you can remember in this moment the links that Jesus went to on your behalf, out of love, out of grace, out of joy. In fact, as we get towards Thanksgiving coming up in about a week and a half, it's going to likely look very different than many of us have ever experienced. Let's not allow the disruption of that routine hinder us from having a deep gratitude for God, for God's goodness, for God's love that endures forever in this circumstance, whatever this circumstance might be. You see, routines are for relationship, not the other way around. It might take some new routines to, to bolster up, to lift up, to strengthen that relationship that you have with God. And so my hope and my prayer is that you, perhaps in this season, would develop new ways. In fact, I have a resource that I'm providing for you. If you go to resources.belair.org, right at the very top, there is a list of scripture verses and quotes about gratitude. I have a mentor today. She, she has this long list of gratitude quotes in her journal. She shared them with me recently and I have to share them with you. And I've combined with that list so many verses about gratitude. You see, we have an opportunity in God's presence to experience the expansiveness of gratitude and finally to realize that there is, there is an end to gratitude. 
as we've been taking a look each of these weeks, that end can mean two things. It can mean the limit, the terminus, the, the ending point. And when we realize that when we have gratitude for God, not for circumstances, but in circumstances for God, there is no end to gratitude. Because God's love endures forever. His goodness never fails. But also we can realize that end also means something else. It means a purpose. It is a, a means to an end. It actually has a, a significance, a sign that points to something greater. I love this. In Psalm 50, verse 23, it says this, Those who bring thanksgiving to God bring their sacrifice in honor of God. You see, to paraphrase, the more we thank God for who God is in the midst of all circumstances, the more we give glory and honor and weight to who God is. What we do in those moments is we are connecting how we are being sustained to our great sustainer. What we are doing in those moments is we are connecting our blessings to the one who blesses us. What we're doing in those moments is we are connecting God's presence to very God himself. And we can find that even in the midst of tremendous disruption, disappointment, even suffering, there is an immovable God that longs for us to experience a deep joy, a deep grace, and out of the overflow of that, a deep thanksgiving that is unshakable. 2020. Shaping up to be one of the greatest litmus tests of the vitality of our relationship with God. For some of us, it's pushed us further away. Some of us has brought us further in. If ruts have formed in your life of anxiety, of, of depression, of anger... Don't go back. Don't tune out. Don't walk away. Our greatest mentor, our greatest teacher, our greatest leader, Jesus himself, says, I'm giving you a choice. But come. I have more of a life, more of an adventure, more for you to experience with me. Would you say yes to the invitation today and every day? And may deep gratitude flow through your life as a result. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have gone through the links that we can't even imagine to bring us close to God. And as we remember, as we reflect, as we meditate through scripture and through prayer and in Christ-centered community of the links that you went to, would it cause a deep, abiding gratitude to well up in our life? May it not be something that we manufacture on our own, but may it be out of the overflow of a relationship with you. Give us your joy, Jesus. Enable us to have thanksgiving that comes through you. In your name we pray and we say together, amen.